0: Amen. Yeah, very excited. Goodwill towards men. If it's your very first Sunday here, again, a special welcome to you. We'd love to meet you after the service. You're catching us as we are in our last uh, message for this series for the month of December. Uh, and I find myself in a, in a unique spot because it's already been shared and Nathan will give us more details as we close. Uh, this is the last Sunday of our 2022 um, at the church. That's just weird to say. It's been like the longest to 10 years of my life, like whatever that, uh, wherever we are, I don't know, you know. Um and what's what's fascinating to me and so as, I, as I'm preparing the message today I, I go okay I want us to set our hearts in preparation for Christmas which is next week uh, f- we're instead of having a Sunday service on the 26th uh, we'll have two services on Friday evening that we're excited about so please come to that invite friends and family it's gonna be a lot of fun and then we'll be back in January 2nd uh, so in one hand I'm preparing for Christmas on the other hand I want to prepare us for 2022 and this series goodwill towards men it's taken out of Luke 2 we'll, we'll be there in just a moment in the text, uh, but, it, but it's, it's the message that God gives to man at the birth of Jesus, on, on, on not just uh, the first Christmas, if I could say it that way, but one of the darkest days of humanity, God comes with a message of goodwill towards men, and I, I just find that incredibly, incredibly profound, and I wanna just, uh, in a sense, put a bow on it, uh, if I could be a little ironic, in the sense that we're near Christmas, of what this series has meant um, to me. Now, uh, here's where I wanna begin. Uh, there I was, minding my own business. Uh, nay, Ty, Tom and I were in our offices at work, which means if we're here in the office and we're pastors, we're doing the Lord's business. And we're, we're, we're in a meeting, Tom and I just like call it, we get to count it as the Lord's business, like a tax write-off, bam. Uh, we're meeting about something. And while we're meeting, uh, if you've been in Tom's office because you've been in trouble like I have, no, uh, there's, a, there's a window that shows us the front parking lot. And, and oftentimes there's gonna be cars moving out. We'll have our staff cars in the front on Monday to Friday, but periodically there'll be maintenance trucks or, or someone handling lawn care stuff. And just because there's a lot of construction right now, it's not unusual just to see a, a maintenance truck of some kind in the parking lot. And while we're having this meeting, out of nowhere, I hear, Tyler, Tyler. And it's my friend, Andy, our children's pastor, Andy, he's yelling down the hallway. And then out of nowhere, I see, as I look out the window, Andy is running down the parking lot with his phone, like this, and he's swimming. And and you know how there's those moments where you're you're about to walk into an incident and you have no idea what's about to happen, but then in the back of your head, you're like, I know what's about to happen. So as I'm walking down the hallway to figure out and kind of chasing down Andy, I go, oh my gosh, you know what? I bet somebody hit Andy's car and then they drove off man, it stinks to be Andy. I'm a pastor. This is the Lord's work. I'm gonna comfort him. I'm gonna be with him. I'm gonna, I'm gonna Andy, it's, it's okay, man. You know, you're okay. The point is that you're fine. Cars can be replaced. Don't worry about this. This isn't a big deal. And I get out there. I go, Andy, man, I'm so sorry. He goes, Tyler, somebody hit your car. I go, that's even worse. <laughs> that's even worse than your, that, when it was just you, it was like something we could get over quickly. But now fingerprints, let's dust. Come on. Who hit my car? And so I turn around and my precious Toyota Corolla, uh, the, the, as you know, plastic bumpers, uh, <laughs> there's a golf ball sized hole in the back of my bumper. And, and I'm, I'm just like, no. And so, so long story short, sorry to belabor this, but it was a big deal for me. Uh, call the insurance company. It's like a cosmetic thing. They fix it in under a week. No, no cost out of pocket, no issue at all. Someone just hit my car and drives off. The rest of that day though, I am fidgety. And if you know me, like, I mean like more than my fidgety, like I'm like, I'm all worked up. And so I go home after the office and I'm just kind of quiet, kind of keeping to myself. And then I get home and I start doing what I do when I can't sit down and rest. I start like stress cleaning. And now now all the wives are like, I wish my husband would stress clean. It's not, I said stress cleaning, it's not productive cleaning. Like I'll pull a pan out of the, it's like a clean pan out of the cabinet and I'll just Brillo that sucker because I don't have a punching bag. So I'm kind of just like walking around the house. I don't know if I'm talking, you know how like, you're not sure if you're talking to yourself sometimes and you catch yourself talking. I'm not sure what's going on with me, but finally Nicole stops me and she goes, what is wrong? What is wrong with you? And I'm going, I'm just thinking about my car. And she's like, the insurance company's taking care of it. And I'm like, babe, it's not about the car. It's that they got away. she's like, who? I'm like, I don't know. That's the problem. I will go on my deathbed and I will be with my child and I'll be like, Evie, here's the inheritance I've left you. And by the way, find these men. Here's a map. It's like national treasures, like find these men. Like I, and, or woman, who knows, who knows? That's why you're all here. Nobody's leaving until you confess. No, no, I will not. Somebody did it. No, it's a work truck. It wasn't any of ours. I am, I am frustrated, I am anxious, because it's not about the car, it's that I want justice. I want what's fair, and this isn't fair. Have you ever been there? I, I saw a minor story, It's a small fender bender, but minor or major issue. What is that that's in us that just goes, it's not fair. They are going to get away with murder. And is, the, is the phrase, they are, they, it's the principle of the matter. You've been on the, on the call with Comcast for three hours because they owe you $5. It's not about the $5, it's the principle. They've taken five of my hard-earned dollars. It's not fair. What is it that longs for justice? What is it that longs for fairness? What is it that we demand so much of? If I could, if I could ratchet it up and go from a small fender bender to something more major that we can understand, you'll recall a couple of years ago uh, the, the the awareness campaign that came out that was powerful, the hashtag Me Too, and and it was it was stories of men and women in Hollywood and in places of power who had been uh, brutally hurt physically, uh, emotionally, verbally, they had been oppressed, they had been hurt in, in horrible, horrible ways. And more and more victims came out to share their story of how they were harassed or they were, they were honestly in, in just horrific things happening to them by people, men and women of power in Hollywood and in kind of the, the, the powerful circles of the world. And so the Me Too aspect was as, as more and more people found courage to share their stories, more and more people rallied behind them and more and more people came out and said, hashtag Me Too. And so so what is that except for the fact that when we see that in our culture, we rally behind the victims, why? Because we hate injustice. Something in us says, that's not right, that's not fair. We identify with the victims, why? Because something in us, whether we have the same details of the story, whether our story is a minor infraction or a major, major trauma, what we have is empathy. We can put ourselves in that person's shoes and go, me too. Let me tell you how I was made a victim. Let me tell you how I was hurt in a horrible, horrible way. We rally behind the victims because we can identify with them. Now, here's what's what's challenging to me, and I I don't mean to offend, if you'll give me some more time to explain my point. Uh, It's easy for us to rally behind the victims because we can identify with them, but what's struggling for us, and I believe it's a lie of the devil, that we don't actually identify ourselves with the oppressors. We never say, oh, I can relate to Harvey Weinstein. We never say Bill Cosby or Kevin Spacey and say, no, no, I get that. Saying, Tyler, are you comparing me to to those deplorable crimes? I've never done anything like that before in my entire life, you're comparing me to that, man, I would never do that. The Bible does, though. The Bible says that you and I were dead in our transgressions. You and I were dead in our sins. And what the lie of the enemy is, is for you to believe the lie that what you did is not that bad. That sure, sure, those men, they made those kind of victims. You have never made a victim like that. And so therefore, any victims that you have in your past can't possibly say, me too. Not about you. And what I am challenged by is why I can say, oh, I did not commit the same crimes of Harvey Weinstein. What I can say, and I can guarantee it almost, especially if you've lived many, many years, if I could go back into your life, look behind your history and go into your decades, your years, your months, your days, your hours, and watch every interaction with every person you ever had, I guarantee you I could find your victims. And you might sweep them under the rug, those sins, but I guarantee you many would stand up and say, not so fast, Tyler. What you did broke my heart. What you did cost me many months of therapy. What you did might have seemed small to you, but it impacted me and my family in a very significant way. This is Sin's cycle that we can absolutely identify with the fact that we are victims of sin, but we must identify with the fact that we have also made victims of our sins. And even if we take out the human condition of us uh, uh, devouring one another with hostility and violence, we still have to recognize the fact that we have sinned against the Almighty God, the one who created all things, and we have sinned against his creation and him himself. So we have sinned against God, we have sinned against man. We are victims of sin, but we have to identify ourselves as someone who has also sinned greatly. See, I wanna talk about the good news of the gospel today. I wanna to, to go there. I know this feels dark for Christmas, but the best thing that I can say is that the very first Christmas, it was one of the darkest nights of our humanity. And so if we don't understand the dark drop, uh, the, 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 back, the backstage, the, the setting that we were in when the glorious light of Jesus came to the world, we will miss the beauty of the gospel. And so it's one thing to identify as a victim. You absolutely have the right to do that. But we must also recognize the fact that we have made victims in our transgressions and they are a big deal. I was, I'm, I was shocked as I listened to some of the news report of the, the Me Too, as people would say things that just, they weren't necessarily defending the people uh, that had, had clearly been found out about their crimes, but they would say things, well, that's just how it was in the 60s, 70s, 80s. If you're gonna make it in Hollywood, there's just some things that you had to do. But what is that? But, but men, even taking deplorable actions, deplorable crimes, and sweeping it under the rug and saying, it's not that bad. We have a condition, and we, we, the, the biggest lie of the enemy is that you don't have a condition. You're not that bad. And so I, I just wanna, I wanna get into Luke chapter two, but I just wanna, I wanna kind of talk through how bad things were and the framework that Jesus stepped into. And so if you look at the story from Genesis to Luke, If you look at Genesis to Malachi, who was the last prophet in the Old Testament to speak a word from God to people, you see this sin cycle. Like if I, if I pulled out of the scripture, which is weird to say, out of the scripture, God's plan for humanity, and just studied man's humanity in this, it would be this. From Genesis all the way to Luke, we devoured one another in our sin. And, and, and some might say, well, you know what, Tyler, given enough time, we will evolve, we'll get better. We can break this cycle on our own. And I'm telling you without divine intervention by the Trinity of Almighty God, you will not break this cycle. He said, how how do you know? Because after the words of Malachi, the last words of Malachi, which we're gonna look at in just a moment, the very last verses, 400 years of silence, meaning God does not intervene. He does not speak to man. And does does man evolve and get better? No, we get worse and worse and worse. This was some of the darkest years of our history. We are not getting better. Left to our own devices, this only increases. It does not improve and it certainly is not broken. And so I wanna I want talk about uh, the freedom from this cycle, from this cycle, how do we find this kind of freedom? And I, I just wanna to go to Malachi very briefly to set us up for Luke chapter two. Malachi chapter four, uh, we'll start in verse uh, five and six, the very last two verses of Malachi. Uh, if you're not familiar with Malachi, four chapters. There's a number of prophets in the Old Testament that speak to the gospel truth of Jesus' coming. Malachi is is an interesting uh, 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 book, four chapters, if I could say it in this way, of just a flow of how Malachi works. It's not necessarily a synopsis of Malachi, but this is kind of the flow. God confronts and exposes man of their sin. And then man, in kind of a rude fashion, interrupts that flow and refutes why it's not that bad. And then God brings evidence, the nail on the coffin, the last word and says, it is that bad and here's why, and this is what that means. And that's pretty much from one to four, it's just a continual. God confronts and exposes sin, man tries and refutes it and says, it's not that bad. God says, here's the evidence, you're condemned. And so here's the last words of Malachi before 400 years of silence. Malachi chapter four, verse five and six. This is God speaking, putting in the last words of the last words. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, a whisper of John the Baptist, before the great and awesome day of the Lord, that awesome day is Jesus is coming, and he will turn the hearts of the Father uh, to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. It's a statement of reconciliation and then this last statement, the very last words. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So if I could sum up those two verses in Malachi with two very points, verse five, God is saying, I am coming back. Verse six, when I come, either man must be reconciled, fathers to the children, children to the father, it's a big eternal truth, or ruin. That's it, I am coming back and when I come back, it's like the the dad in the car, if I come back there, there will be order. So So God goes, I am coming back and there will either be reconciliation or ruin and then silence for 400 years. And God says not another word. And now we come to Luke chapter two and God speaks for the first time to man. And so that's where I want us to begin. I want us to recognize the dark state that we were in. We did not get better, we did not evolve. Things were at its worst. Verse eight, an angel of the Lord comes to shepherds who are in a field, the first men to be spoken to outside of Mary and Joseph. And it says this, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were uh, um, filled with great fear, or in other translations, greatly afraid. Why are they greatly afraid? Because they are Jewish shepherds. And they know in their history books, the last words is, I am coming back. And when I come back, reconciliation or ruin. And they look at the state of their life and they look at the world around them and there's certainly not reconciliation. And so what else could they assume but an angel of the Lord, a chief of the angels comes to them and standing before them and they are filled with great fear because they're going, it must be time for ruin. See, here's what captured me. We started planning this series in October and I started thinking about this, this verse, this moment. And this moment for me just kind of cascaded to what I'm sharing today. In that moment, in that moment, God could have brought anything and he would have been justified in bringing it. He said before Malachi, the wages of sin is death. He said in Malachi, he said, I'm coming back. And when I do, reconciliation must happen or it's ruin." And in that moment, God could have had in his hands wrath, judgment and a sort of execution, and he would have been justified to wipe out all of creation, man, woman, child. And you say, Tyler, that would be cruel of God to do such a thing. And I say, no, that's not cruel. That's fair. Yeah. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we long for and demand? Fairness and justice is a wonderful thing when you've been reconciled with the almighty judge. It is not good news. John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was either good news or terrible news, depending on who you were. If you are reconciled, the kingdom of God is glorious news. If you are not reconciled, it is ruin. And so a shepherd is standing before an angel and God could have brought him in. And this is maybe a little bit of conjecture. I don't know exactly how it happened. What I do know is that Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world. And it says that God kept this mystery to confuse his enemy about Jesus's coming. People thought he's gonna come, he's gonna be a king, he's gonna take over, he's gonna conquer. He comes as a little baby. He comes as a a meek and mild man from Nazarite, or as a Nazarite from Nazareth. And it was what nobody expected. And so I'm wondering, do the angels know this plan? I'm not sure, but, but here's what I do know. Angels are watching the history uh, unfold. And they see from the beginning of Genesis and Genesis three, where sin enters the world, they watch man and they watch this cycle of sin form and only get stronger and stronger and stronger. And they watch it through Malachi. They watch it through the prophets. They watch it for 400 years. And they're now looking at an earth that is completely dark and violent and hostile against one another and against the Godhead itself. And God whispers to his chief angel before he goes to the shepherd and he says, hey, let man know I am coming towards them. I don't know when the angels were let in on the plan. I, part of me is going, I don't know if that chief angel, knew no, because he, he rallies a host of angels and they're literally sitting, they're literally sitting behind a veil of the sky, getting ready to rip open the sky and deliver a message to these poor shepherds. And I can only imagine that these hosts have a sword half drawn going, we're just waiting on the word. Is it ruin? And then God whispers to his chief angel, let man know that I'm coming towards them and let them know in my one hand, I hold peace. And in the other hand, I hold goodwill. In my translation, it says, let them know I'm coming with peace and that I'm well pleased with them. It says this, The angel of the Lord says, fear not, for behold, we were just let in on a secret. I bring you good news with great joy that, uh, that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there, was an angel. there were angels in the multitudes in the heavenlies uh, of hosts praising God. And they were saying, glory to God in the highest. That word glory, it is weight. It means the very presence and the weight of God. They say, we have a weighty, profound truth that we have to tell you, and it's with great joy. We have to tell you this news, that on earth there is peace among those with whom he is pleased. He could have come with anything, and he decided to come with peace and goodwill towards us. Uh, I I wanna talk about... Uh, how God in his divine nature broke this cycle of sin through the birth and cross of Jesus. And I wanna talk about the power and freedom that we have in reconciliation and forgiveness. So I wanna be in Matthew chapter 18 uh, pretty much for the rest of our time today. Matthew chapter 18, and we'll start in verse 15. Um, Here's here's what I wanna do. it was not a mistake for us to create a series of Love One, which was, if you were with us in November, it was a whole series about Love Your Neighbor. And we intentionally put it right up next to Goodwill Towards Men. Because while I wanna marvel at the fact that God came towards us with peace and goodwill, what I also wanna recognize is those who have been reconciled have now been given the ministry of reconciliation. Which a big question for me, if you're a believer here today, as we leave these doors, as I'm asking the question, I'm gonna ask it multiple times as we're here today, what is in your hands as you go towards men? As you go towards your neighbor, as you go towards your friend, and as, as we'll learn in Matthew 18, as you go to your worst enemy, you could come at them with anything. My question is, what's in your hand? And my hope is that Matthew 18 would help determine that. So Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 15, uh, 15 to 17, I just wanna talk about reconciliation. And Jesus is talking about the process of reconciling, not just with God, but reconciling with one another, the process of reconciliation. And he's talking to his disciples. These are, if I could say they are believers, they are Jesus followers. And so these are commands to him, uh, to us. If your brother sins against you, go to him, uh, tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, Jesus says this, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So this is fascinating to me because we hear the word reconciliation and we go, that's the Christian thing to do, we must reconcile. And yet Jesus ends these uh, two verses with, it's not always possible to reconcile. So so here's what he, he says, hey, if somebody sins against you, if somebody's made you a victim of their sin, you're in the cycle, go to them for the sake of their dignity, tell them their fault alone. And if they listen to you, in other words, if they repent, you've won your brother, they'll repent, you forgive. If they don't listen to you, bring some friends along that you both trust. Again, keeping it as private as possible for the sake of dignity, being kind and gentle with this individual. But let those men that you trust, those women that you trust, hear these things. And as the case is coming out, if they say, hey, no, you you are at fault, this needs to be repented of. And if he still doesn't do it, now take it to the community and say, we have a problem here. And if he still doesn't listen, Treat him like a Gentile and tax collector. So a number of things for me uh, come up in there. First, we have to know, okay, so then how do we treat Gentiles and tax collectors? That's important. Number number two, though, is this fascinating that reconciliation is not always possible. Meaning Jesus commands us, as we're getting ready to to read in, in the rest of this chapter, he commands you and I that we must forgive. So how should we treat tax collectors and Gentiles? Always ever forgiving them we are not necessarily called to reconcile with everyone. And this is important. So this is why I wanna take some time here. Please hear this, especially, especially if you have incredible abuse or trauma in your past or you are currently being abused. Jesus is not telling you, not telling you to forgive and forget and to go back to your abuser. Jesus is not telling you that. This idea that, that you, you say, hey, this was the wrong that was done to me, and if, you're, if the counselor around you goes, well, you know, the Bible says forgive. And what they mean by that is you should go back to him even though he hits you. Even though she keeps cheating on you, you should go back to him. Even though they, they have this addiction and they, they refuse to stop, the point is this, is going repentance is a necessary aspect of reconciliation. We have to ask, how do we reconcile? Reconciliation is between two parties. Two parties bringing two individual parts. One party must repent and the other must forgive if there's gonna be reconciliation. And if you have somebody, amen, if you have somebody who refuses to repent, you are still commanded to forgive. You are not commanded to live with them. This is so important because so many people have gone back to their abusers and they go, well, this is what Jesus wants for me. Jesus does not want this for you. This is so important, amen. Reconcile as much as you can, as as much as it is in your strength to do. What's my part? My job is to forgive. But repentance means a 180, a complete and total change. I was walking this direction, but I repented and I changed. If that abuser does not change, you treat them like a tax collector, meaning they are no longer a part of the community. Why? Because the cycle of sin will devour those who are in it and those who are around it. And so if anything, Jesus is going, I will not allow people, innocent people, to continue to get hurt by people's unrepentant sin. Okay. So now I wanna, now I wanna talk about um, forgiveness. And, and uh, I just, I wanna read this quote from Henry Cloud. It was very helpful for me um, uh, as, I, as I heard it. Um, actually, you know what? Let me, let me read the rest of Matthew and then I'll bring you to Henry just to, to, to summarize. He does a beautiful job of summarizing it. So Matthew chapter 18, we will start in verse 21. Jesus is speaking with his disciples. He's talking to them about reconciliation. And now he, he, he's beginning to have a conversation with Peter, one of the disciples who have questions about forgiveness. And so Peter goes to him and he says, hey Jesus, uh, let's read it, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will I forgive my brother if he sins against me? And then he says, as many as seven times. So in the Jewish culture, it was believed that three times was the max that you should have to forgive somebody. So Peter grew up in a a condition or in an experience where he said, okay, so if somebody sins against me, my brother sins against me, I forgive them. They sin against me again, I forgive them. If they sin against me again, I forgive them. The fourth time, I have nothing to do with them. I don't have to forgive them, I don't have to do anything. So, So Peter, who's been hanging out with Jesus enough, who's been corrected by Jesus enough, is going, all right, I've got this. Uh, Jesus continually ratchets up. Whatever the law says, he just continually high, like just heightens the standard. So it's good on Peter that he goes more than double what is usually expected. So he goes, hey Jesus, is seven times enough? And Jesus answers him, no, 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 Peter, not seven times, 70 times seven. And so it's, it's important. Uh, this, is a, this is a play on the number seven. I guarantee if, if he would've said five, he would've said 50 times five or 80 times eight. Uh, Jesus is not saying 490 forgive him 491, and then 491, you bring down the hammer. Like that is not, Jesus is throwing out an astronomical number to answer the question. We are called, if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus, we are called to forgive everyone, anyone who has wronged us every time without fail, always forgiving. And Jesus goes to continue to describe why that's the case, because that's that's easy to read and preach. It is not easy to do. So Jesus expounds, knowing how hard that is. As I'm talking about forgiveness of abusers, I know that faces are coming to your mind's eye. It happens to me as I read this text as well. There are specific people that I go, I have to forgive them. But they did this. And Jesus knows exactly how hard that is, and so he tells us a parable. So listen to the parable, he says this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents." Now, if you're a nerd about this kind of stuff, you'll love this. And I had to go, well, how much is a talent? So I look up in the talents. Talents, roughly, as people were, you know, people will go, okay, in today's, uh, you know, they take all inflation, what, what would it be today? Essentially, the, it, the general consensus from a lot of the people who would study this, they say a single talent is 20 years' wages. 20 years wages, so 10,000 talents, 200,000 years. Again, Jesus is going, it's an astronomical number. In other words, this servant in this lifetime, giving him multiple lifetimes, is not paying back this debt, no matter what. Nathan and I nerded out even more, Nathan's like, I think it's like 20 billion something, 21 billion, that's hard on a shepherd's salary, (laughs) on a fisherman's salary, nobody's paying that bill. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife, his children, and all that he had for payment to be made. And going, that's not even gonna scratch the surface, but I'm taking everything. In other words, this man is completely and totally bankrupt. So the servant uh, fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. We have to recognize this. Don't believe the lie that what you and I have done is not that bad. One of the things that kept me from the gospel for years was I looked around at the guys my age and even guys that were older than me and I go, I might have my issues, but they're the ones who have real problems. I was a classic Pharisee to pat myself on the back and go, you know what, I'm pretty good for my age, only getting better, I'm evolving. I would never say it that way, but I'd I'd be like, you know, God, I mean, if you look around, I'm I'm the best on your team on on the coast of North Carolina. I mean, the odds are good, but the goods are odd. I mean, you're not gonna find some guys. And, and, And so it's this lie that goes, when it comes to my sin, it is not that bad. And what this parable is saying, Jesus goes, you are the servant and you are spiritually, totally, completely bankrupt. And in your own strength, you are not breaking this cycle. Verse 28. This is where it's interesting. And this is almost where you read the rest of this and I go, if there's ever time to have fear and trembling as you read, uh, it's this passage. Because this is a command from Jesus and he actually just goes explicitly. And let me tell you the consequence of not following this command. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, essentially a hundred days wages. This guy owed him from January to dipping into some of April. And here was his response. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Actually, very possibly could pay him back. Verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when fellow servants observed these two servants' interaction and they saw what had happened and taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not have had. Should I not have had? Um, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you? And here's the fear and trembling, where it just kind of I pause. Jesus finishes the parable in the first verse of thirty four. He says, "And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers, until he should pay all his debt, uh, for free." Please don't believe the lie that Jesus doesn't preach on hell. If people have told you that like, well, Jesus never said anything about hell, this is what he's talking about. You're gonna be put in a jail that you cannot get out of until you pay back your debt, and you cannot pay that debt. The jailer, the the jail, that is exactly what that is. And here's where it gets uh, dicey. So Jesus then looks his disciples in the eye, finishing his parable. And he says, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Here's Henry, Cloud's, here's Henry Cloud's quote. He says this, the Bible is clear about two principles. We always need to forgive because it's a command, but we don't always achieve reconciliation. Forgiveness is something that we do in our own hearts. We release someone from a debt that they owe us. We write off the person's debt and they no longer owe us. We no longer condemn them, they are clean. Only one party is needed for forgiveness, not two like reconciliation, and it's me, it's you. The person who owes me a debt does not have to ask for my forgiveness. They don't even have to repent of it because it is a work of grace in my heart. So Jesus says, when it comes to forgiveness, I command you and you have every ability. I have graced you with the ability to forgive. And you go, Jesus, you have no idea what they've done to me though, but he has graced you with the ability to give. I'm always asked the question, well, then what is that grace? And I, I believe as, as, we, as we look at this, uh, how do we make forgiving easy? And I think in that we find, we find the grace. And, and for, so just for a moment, we're gonna close out uh, fairly soon, we've got, we've got time. Uh, I wanna speak for five minutes to the Christians in the room. And if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, you're not a believer, it's not that I, I wanna ignore you, please, please listen in and glean, but forgiveness was a command that Jesus had for his followers. Meaning that yoke that he's putting on his followers is not on you for those who don't believe. But I wanna talk to you in, in the next five minutes after this. I know that it is difficult to forgive your enemy or a harsher way of saying, it, I know it's difficult to forgive your abuser I know that. I, when I think about the people who owe me, the people who have hurt me, I'm not thinking about just the small fender bender story that I told you, I'm thinking about real hard hurt. I see a mountain of pain between me and them. And I go, Jesus, I cannot believe you want me to forgive this. I know, I, I, there's no possible way that I could know your hurt. And I mean that in every sense of the word, not just if you told me the details of the story, I can't know what you experienced. I can't know your hurt but I absolutely can know what you've been forgiven of. See, for me, in order to see the good news of the gospel and its glory is I have to look and remember the bad news of the gospel. Not because sin's nature has a hold on me. Your past is your past, and if you are in Christ, it says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ but I don't remember my past so that I might feel shame and condemnation. I remember when I'm standing in front of somebody and they have hurt me in tremendous ways and there is a mountain of pain behind me. It absolutely hurts me to the core just to think about some of those things as I know it does for your case and your story. But when I turn around and I look at my case, and I remember who I was, and I remember when God came towards me And when I finally acknowledged the fact that I was a hypocrite and a liar, and God could have come towards me with anything, and it would have been right for me to take a knee, extend my neck and expose it, and let him execute me on the spot, because that is what I deserve for the things that I have done. He could have come at me and he could have come at you with anything. And he extended peace and goodwill Who does that? My question to you, Christian, is very simple. You have to then turn around from your 10,000 talent debt where you read the banner, Tyler was completely forgiven, debt completely paid for. And then you have to turn around and look at the person who has hurt you. And I know it's a traumatic pain, but at the same time, when you compare it to the mountain of 10,000 talents, it becomes no longer a mountain of pain, but a mound, a 100 denarii. And I have to ask the question, what is going to be in your hands? This whole series is not just about marveling at the goodwill that God extended. The point is is that he gave us the ministry of reconciliation and we're about to leave and walk out. We'll be with friends and families for the holidays, but eventually you will cross paths with your enemy. What is in your hand? Second Corinthians chapter five. It might be my favorite passage of scripture, if I could say that, um, this is for the Christians, but if those who are not Jesus followers, if you'll begin to listen in, because I want to talk to you for a moment. It says this in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, a new has come. Now, all this is from God, who through Christ, the birth and death of our Savior, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You could not reconcile yourself back with God, so God brought reconciliation to you. And on top of that, after he reconciled you, he goes, now be like the angels to the shepherds. Go ahead and declare the reconciliation that I have for the rest of the world. So for the believer, here's, here's the message from our God. After giving us the ministry, what is that ministry? That is. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, not counting their sins against them. I love that verse and he is entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, those who have been reconciled. God is making his appeal, just like he made the appeal through the angels on that dark night, the first Christmas, he is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be our sin who knew no sin, so for this reason that we might become the righteousness of God. And so I wanna to begin to talk to those. If you're here today and maybe you're watching online, if you are not a Jesus follower, if you would give me five more minutes of your time, I believe it could be the most important five minutes of your life. It's, it's a five minutes that I remember when I had it with the Lord. And I just wanna implore you as the scripture just read, be reconciled. I wanna know how how are we to be reconciled to God? I'm employed. You know what that word implore means? It's powerful. It is desperately begging. I am desperately begging you, be reconciled to God. I know what it is to have a massive debt. And I hope in in, in hearing me talk today, you recognize the fact you're not gonna lie to yourself that you also have a massive debt that you cannot pay. And so I am begging you, begging you, be reconciled to God. He's extending forgiveness to you now. What is reconciliation? It is two parties. In this case, the Lord who is ready to forgive. And now it is your responsibility to repent. And I, I don't know your story. I don't know what kind of how your mind works. Here's some of the questions that were rattling in my mind when I had to sit in front of the Lord and, and, and work through this reconciliation process. You might ask, why is it necessary for me to repent? Why must I repent? And it is because somebody has to pay the account. Somebody has to pay. You will one day, we all will, we will stand before a holy and righteous judge, and one day we will stand before him, and somebody has to pay the 10,000-talent debt. Somebody has to answer for the blood that is on our hands, for the victims that are in our wake, those that we have sinned against. And the question of the gospel is, do you wanna pay that account or do you want Jesus to pay that account? I'm telling you now, on your best day, you will not be able to pay that. Be reconciled, repent, and Jesus steps in. With his nail-pierced hands, blood running out, he washes your hands clean of blood. And he pays off that debt. Can you not see that mountain? And can you not read your name across it? Completely debt-free, paid in full. I want that for you. And you might say, you might say well, okay, Tyler, well, God makes the rules. God's the judge. Why can't he just forgive across the board? In other words, Tyler, why can't you just say, hey, you know what, Tyler, you don't have to pay your 10,000 talents and I'm not gonna make Jesus pay it for you. And and it's because of this right now, because Jesus, because God, his nature is he is good, he is able and he is faithful, which means he is an equal measure showing justice and righteousness and an equal measure showing mercy and love. When he extends mercy and love, he does not diminish his justice. When he extends his justice, he does not diminish his mercy. And by doing this, he proves to be good. If I could put it in this context, suppose we watch the court case of Harvey Weinstein, clearly found out through testimony and evidence that he was a guilty man. He stands before a judge and he goes, you know what judge, I really, why can't anybody just, why does anybody have to pay? Why don't you just forgive it across the board? What would happen if that judge said, you know what Harvey, I'm a merciful and kind judge. You're right no need to pay any restitution, no need to have time in prison, just go. Is that judge being merciful and kind to Harvey? Yes. But by failing to do justice, you know who he's not merciful and kind to? All of the victims. This is so important. Every tear that you have shed, every piece of blood that has come from you because somebody has hurt you, God sees it. Even darkness is not dark to God. So whether you were abused publicly in a brutal and undignified way or whether it was done in private, God saw it, he sees it, he hates sin, and he goes, there will be an answer for that, I promise you. I will not let an injustice survive. Sin will die and be destroyed. And so he must condemn you so that he might show his mercy and kindness to those that you have offended and hurt deeply. Blood must be shed. And once again, is it your blood or is it Christ's? Again, you cannot possibly lie to yourself and say, I'm not that bad. There's no victims that would say what I did was, was deplorable or wrong. We all stand condemned. There is not one good among us, no, not one. I close, I close with this. We don't actually want justice and fairness. If we actually wanted justice and fairness, we would accept the judgment that God had for those who are unreconciled. See, we call for justice and fairness when we have been wronged. I want what's just. This isn't fair. I want, pay me what you owe. We don't want justice and fairness because if we did, it wouldn't just be something we called on when we were wronged, but when we were found in the wrong, we would call out for it. And we don't. So that means by definition, when I'm in that moment, when somebody has hurt me and I go, I want justice, I'm not actually asking for justice. What I actually want is I want vengeance. It's a whole nother sermon, how vengeance belongs to the Lord, how he will give an account for all the sin in the world. But that's what I actually want, I want vengeance. Now here's my challenge to you, because I know how hard it is to forgive. I recognize that. And even if you can't stare at that mountain and find mercy and grace in your own heart, because you admit that the pain is deep, here's what I know. I know that vengeance, vengeance will not fill you like you think it will. Vengeance has a reward. You wanna know the reward for vengeance? The the Old Testament, Deuteronomy said it very plainly because it it was feeding the sin cycle. Law was feeding the sin cycle. It wasn't making men better. It was showing them how bad they are. So the, the, the law then was eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, foot for a foot, hand for a hand, wound for a wound. In other words, go make a victim. You were made a victim, now go make a victim. The reward for vengeance is this. I couldn't get eyeballs on eBay eBay or Amazon. Back, back, teeth. Here's my question to you. Here's my question to you. Mason jar full of teeth. At the end of your 2022, do you want your story to be, hey, come to my trophy room. I want you to show you what I've accomplished today. I've, I've chased down my enemies. I've got a, I got a trophy case full of teeth and eyes. Is that what you want? I know that's not what I want. That, that feeling of getting what's yours, that feeling of, I finally got my vengeance, I promise you it will be as hollow as teeth. You can go get vengeance. If that's what you wanna go towards man with, you can go get vengeance, I'll leave, I'll leave this here. You can go grab a tooth at the end, just to remind yourself, today I'm gonna get vengeance. That's the reward for vengeance. My wife, she, she asked me this a few months back and i have not shaken it from every time that I've preached before. And, and when, you're, when you're preaching, they ask the question like, what is it that you want your audience to know? What do I want you to know? I want you to know Matthew 18. I want you to know about reconciliation. I want you to know about forgiveness. They say, okay, well, what do, you want your, what, do you, what, what do you want the audience to do? If you're a Christian, I want you to forgive. If you are not a Christian, I want you to be reconciled. That's what I want you to do. Then she's, then, but my wife, she's just a genius. So she asked this question. She goes, but Tyler, oh, amen. You deserve Christmas presents this year. Every year, every day, come on. She said, but tell me, what do you want for your audience? What do you want for your listeners? Here's what I want for you. When 2022 comes just a couple of weeks from now, if you are not reconciled with God, I want you to walk into the new year completely and totally debt free. Yeah. I want you for the first time to feel his mercy and grace on your life. It will revolutionize your life. If you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, that's what I want for you. I want you to read above that 10,000 talent mountain. I want you to read, I want you to see it paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you are a Christian, I told you I want you to forgive, but here's why, because here's what I want for you. You know what I realized? I don't actually want vengeance, even though that's what I call for. You know what I want? When I'm in my kitchen, whether it's a minor infraction or a major one, I'm frustrated, I am angry, I am anxious, I can't sit down, I can't find rest. You know what I want? I want that to go away from my heart. I don't just want God to give me peace in my circumstances. I want him to give me peace in my soul. That's what I want for you and for me. To forgive somebody of their debts is not just to free them from the debt. It's to free you from the cycle, to find freedom from the cycle. And you will never find that with vengeance, but you can find that with forgiveness. Would you pray with me? Our Father, who's in heaven, holy, or as the angel said that night, glory to your name. Thank you that your kingdom has come. Your will is being done, not just in heaven, but here on earth as Emmanuel dwells among us. Thank you for providing for us in our daily needs and giving us peace in our circumstances. Thank you for helping us turn from evil and forgiving our sins, not counting them against us. And Lord, thank you so much for forgiving us of our debt. And I pray for 2022, would you help us forgive those that owe us a debt? To you be the power and glory and honor forever. Amen. Thank you, guys.